0: Heads up, new episode of Rocket to the Cloud coming your way. Welcome to another episode of Rocket to the Cloud, the show where we interview leaders and decision makers in all things software development and especially the cloud. Of course, this show is made possible by Booster, the open source initiative by the Agile Monkeys with a mission to disrupt the cloud industry and redefine developer experience, multiplying joy and productivity by 10. With the Booster framework, you can develop event-driven applications and with the next to zero configuration, you can have them deployed effectively to multiple cloud providers with all the infrastructure inferred from the code and the framework taking care of provisioning the necessary resources. Because it's an open source project, all contributions are welcome. You'll find a link to Booster's GitHub in the description and also on its website, www.booster.cloud. Our guest on this episode is a familiar face in the cloud and data world. You probably might've seen him on many a YouTube video talking about BigQuery and other Google products. And as of late, teaching the world how to do cool things with Snowflake. I'm talking about Felipe Hoffa. He's a data cloud advocate at Snowflake and an expert in all things data and the cloud. Let's see what he had to tell us. Hey, Felipe, welcome to the show. Welcome to Rocket to the Cloud. It is an absolute honor to have
1: you as our guest on this episode. Thank you very much, Mario. It's also a great honor for me to be here, fellow Chilean. Yes, yes. And people at home, you
0: probably don't know this, but uh, we're, we're both from Chile, but we also went to the same school. Okay, so so Felipe, you work at Snowflake, but... Um, you also worked for a long time at Google. Almost 10 years ago, you started working at Google, where you became a developer advocate for all things cloud and big data. You worked a lot with BigQuery, and uh, just last year, if I'm not mistaken, that's when you joined Snowflake, which is also like a big player in, uh, in you know, in the whole data space, the whole data world. Um, so 10 years ago, like a decade in tech, that feels like like a century. In this decade, what would you say have been the biggest changes in tech, but specific to the data world?
1: Yeah, Oh, that's a long, yeah, a decade is a really long time. Uh, As you say, 10 years ago, I was living in Chile and suddenly I jumped to this universe in Silicon Valley. I started at Google as a software engineer. And then two years later, I became a developer advocate for BigQuery. And then eight years later, 10 years, uh, I decided to change, to move to Snowflake, a company that did not exist 10 years ago. Um, BigQuery wasn't even the map 10 years ago. It had been announced, but it was just starting. And I would say, like, the biggest change is, for me, is the culture of different companies that are willing to move to the cloud. Like, uh, if you would go up to a bank 10 years ago, 8 years ago, and tell them to move all of the data to the cloud, they would say, impossible. <laughs> Cultural reasons, legal reasons, uh, compliance. Yeah. But things have moved a lot. And now that's where the conversations start. It seems
0: like uh, there's, there's not this mistrust. Well, there still is. You know, a lot of companies, when you... Ask them. Oh no, we don't want to use AWS because Amazon, you know, they're going to have access to our data, and you know, they get suspicious around those sorts of things. But uh, I definitely do agree that you know the, the the attitude has shifted that we're now cloud first instead of you know cloud second. Compare that ten years ago, the cloud was in its infancy. I mean, AWS just came out with uh, you know EC2 and S3. Um, I don't think uh, GCP or, or Google Cloud, I don't know what's the name, uh, was even around back then. And um, BigQuery was like their, their, their first big uh, cloud product that they, they competed with,
1: uh, you know, against AWS mm-hmm. and Azure, et cetera, is that correct? Yeah, um, not really. So just to as an example of the change of culture, at that time, yes, we had Amazon, the, the basic components of Amazon S3, uh, EC2, And Google at that time had App Engine. And I stopped using Amazon like 12 years ago to build my apps on App Engine. I learned Python to do so. Uh, But of course, that was a very marginal part of software, the software industry, people doing things in the cloud. Uh, App Engine is not as big today. It has been replaced with different things, although it's still alive. But I do remember, like, when I got my software engineer at Google, um, my software engineering interviews, um, I came to code. I was coding in that whiteboard, the typical story people tell yeah. there. But when I got my questions from these uh, Googlers, engineers, they I would answer these questions using App Engine and Python. And they were not prepared for that. Like they did not know. <laughs> were prepared. Uh, well. Not I even mean, the people that they, worked there. Exactly, they were working with Java and Borg and all the internal uh, classical Google systems. And I was there, yeah, answering my questions with Python, appendium, and problems that should have been very hard for that interview. I was solving those with three lines of code. And finally, I ended up joining one of these teams, and yeah, I got to teach them App and Python, and we switched some of our internal projects to App and Python. So yeah, there are many advantages on moving to the cloud, and these 10 years have been a huge discovery process for so many organizations, inside and outside these big corporations.
0: Uh, For Mm -hmm. for a long time, it seemed that like a lot of organizations and executives would throw around uh, all these data related buzzwords, uh, this vocabulary, you know, oh, big data, machine learning, and, you know, and so on, you know, just to make themselves appear to be like cutting edge, but um, they weren't, you know, actually, you know, embracing, you know, such concepts. So do you think that now? Have we reached a point in which these concepts stop being, you know, just mere buzzwords and are now basically integral part of businesses? Like people are taking data
1: seriously? Uh, for sure. Like, well, companies have always used data. Um, now, when we started talking about big data and having big data conferences and big data podcasts, it was more of a revolution, not on companies using data, which they have, but on how we do it, how we enable different ways of thinking about it. At the end of the day, big data is just data. What we have changed is the easiness to pull things off. To uh, How do we start with data modeling, where you used to have to do all of these tricks to be able to have a computer analyze your data, uh, now you can scale storage, you can scale compute, and you just have to change your ways of dealing with things. So, uh, like a problem I used to have years ago was convincing people that this is possible. So it stopped being like a luxury that
0: only companies the size of Google could have to be able to process huge volumes of data. So I guess I don't want to say uh, probably democratized, maybe yeah, democratized data. Is, <laughs>
1: it's another buzzword. But yeah, it has to do a lot on moving the, the power to everyone. And I think that's one of the great things that Snowflake did at the time, which was the founders recognized that, hey, eight years ago, something like that, there is this cloud thing now, there is infinite compute, there is infinite storage, and the Snowflake founder's question was like, we have to do something about this. Now that this is possible that we have these basic elements. How do we build uh, at that time a data warehouse that would use all of these resources natively?
0: Oh, so speaking of Snowflake specifically, so Snowflake is yeah. a specialized as a data warehouse, right? So where does it stand out or where does it truly shine when you compare it to um, you know its competitors, whether it's, I don't know, BigQuery or Redshift, mm-hmm. uh, Synapse or whatever? But those are the, the
1: first that come to mind. One of the big differences of Snowflake, as I was uh, hinting just now, is that it's a cloud. Uh, it's it's built for the cloud. It wasn't like an uh, adaptation of something that already existed and how do we move it to the cloud so it can use it. Um, the founders were thinking, how do we build something from the ground up that will use these basic elements and that... Uh, fits to what companies want and they designed this architecture they got the best talent they could get and they created this company out of nowhere really Uh, and it's for me it's been very very impressive to see it like i was working at a huge company with all of the resources in the world and you see these other Two clouds, three giant clouds, and other parallel clouds that are not that big, but still they come from huge companies with a huge culture of data. And somehow these two, three founders were able to create something that's something that customers wanted, something that works like magic, that adapts to the customer needs, and that is cloud agnostic. You can move from cloud to cloud to cloud using the same uh, uni- uh same experience.
0: Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you specifically because you said that uh, the the Snowflake's founders they really delivered something that customers wanted. So what was the thing that people mm-hmm. were asking, please build this thing that Snowflake became the
1: the answer. So cloud agnostic is a big one because your favorite product uh, it's might not be tied to a particular cloud. Like uh, for a long time, if you go to my past years on social media conferences, I was telling people, uh, use this product from Google Cloud. Uh, but then you have to move everything to Google Cloud if you want to do this. And Snowflake didn't pose that problem. It was like, it works where your data is, where the rest of your processes is. But it's not only uh, th- that variable but there's so much in the developer experience, in the data engineer experience, in the security and governance experience, that fits what customers were demanding. Like how the whole package was built around customer demand, instead That's of trying to it. adapt what customers want to. Well, we built this, so now figure out how to move your deal with system. it. <laughs> exactly, you've been there.
0: yeah I usually think in terms of developer experience, but you just mentioned not just developer experience, but um, the data engineer experience and the security, um, security specialist engineer uh, uh, experience. And there's th- a lot of people that you have to take into account and make an experience that's you know memorable for them.
1: There's like uh, you, we used to st- solve problems to from our perspective. And then I used to get a lot of questions, uh, previous workplace. How do I do this? How do I manage a team? How do I manage these permissions? How do I? And I didn't always have a good answer for that. And with Snowflake, I'm seeing a lot of how that was built and how it adapts exactly of what a huge team that lives under certain culture needs to work. And Snowflake has all of those constructions. Um, it works really well. Like uh, there are so many things that because I lived in certain world, I wasn't aware that this is how the rest of the world lives, how the rest of the world interacts with different systems, and yeah, uh, it's been quite an experience for me jumping from one company to another, where we had like this is our culture and this is how we do things, and we've been different from the rest of the world. To oh now in the middle of where I work does things in the same way that my customers are doing it and the product reflects that oh,
0: that word that is used a lot in like uh, the agile world you know silos you had these different silos that didn't communicate with each other and you end up with you know these islands that don't talk to each other and it ends in a I guess mm-hmm. a, a
1: very uh, haphazard c- culture yeah that's one word that we love at Snowflake, which is data silos and how to prevent them, how to have one source of truth where everyone gets to collaborate and work together and eliminate all of these different silos that, at the end of the day, prevent people from getting what they want, to prevent them from trusting the data that they're working with, or prevent them from even sharing it because it's not outside a well-governed place. It's maybe not safe to handle. Snowflake has solved a lot of problems, but
0: I'm guessing that, you know, there's still uh, some problems out there in, in mm-hmm. data that there's still not a satisfactory solution yet. Do you know which
1: which problems um, are these? And uh, So if I have to think about things uh, without uh, an easy solution so far, um, I would get out of the specific products or features, but... Data literacy. How do we help people understand? Yes. Um, (laughs) Like yeah, there's so much I can do with data. How much I can present with it? But I want. I can explain things, but I cannot understand things for someone else. Um, How to explain basic things like probabilities? Like I don't know if I have an algorithm that. yeah it's hard math yes. I, mean, uh, <laughs> I know I know material learning you might say that something is eighty percent accurate and that's really really good. but then people come back to you with, why did this fail? Did this fail? Well, eighty percent accuracy means that twenty percent of the time it's going to be wrong. and eighty percent was really good, but sometimes understanding that kind of thing is it's hard.
0: And this, this yeah. literacy that you, you speak of, it's, um, I, I guess it happens across all levels of an organization from, mm-hmm. you know, the C-suite then to the, I guess the VPs all the way down to developers. I guess that's where your job comes in. You're a developer advocate for, so I guess basically your job is to be a teacher and to tell the world and, you know, bring these... Uh, concepts, uh this mathematical concept like probabilities and explain them to a wide array of of
1: uh professions. <laughs> well I try my best. Now I've never seen so many charts and people talking about data as this year. Like this year it has been crazy how much exposure to data, charts, the evolution of the world. Uh, everyone's like uh, looking at me reading it. And At the same time, you've been able to see how hard it's been for the world to agree on what data means. Yep. I wish wish there was an easy solution. And yeah, you were talking about what's the open problem. That's a huge open problem. But at least we're moving forward in the sense of people are paying attention. And some people are open to see that they might need different ways of not only ingesting data but communicating it.
0: Communicating and interpreting. I'm, uh, I'm probably guessing. You know, you just can be handed over a, a set of uh, facts and then try to come up with, uh, you know, the, the the one that's always been said that you know correlation does not imply causation and that kind of stuff. Be able to have the literacy to interpret uh, data. I guess that's a, that's also a big
1: deal as well. It's huge. It's huge. Uh, yeah. The first step is having this discussion. So even if we are fighting over data and what it means, um, I love that we're doing it. <laughs> Somehow we are <laughs> moving forward. Through it. Like we, At least we are fighting over data instead of with no data and just or, uh, whatever you, you think versus someone else's things getting back to snowflake and
0: snowflake it's it's uh, a it's a data warehouse but it's also like a platform so i'm guessing that it's not just some place where you just dump your data and it probably has um, more components so which of the of the different uh, components or, uh, or features um that make up uh the snowflake platform are you the one that excites you the most the one that you like to show and tell people about
1: yeah so yeah um just y- yes, to make a, a note here, between is Snowflake a data warehouse? That was the first problem we, as a company, we wanted to solve. is How do we become uh, the data warehouse of choice? But as a company, as a product, we've grown from the data warehouse concept to the data cloud. And when we talk data. about data oh. cloud, we talk much more than uh, this is where you store and analyze your data. But this is also where you share your data. This is where you do your data science. This is where uh, your teams, the different parts of your organization meet to talk about data. And not only within your organization, but across organizations, across teams in your company, with other companies, ingesting data from, uh, like, instead of making copies of data across corporations, is how we can have one place where corporation A shares data with corporation B without making copies, and that's really powerful. So when you ask me about things that excite me, first, uh, when I decided to move to Snowflake as a to, to become a Snowflake employee, the data marketplace was one of the most exciting things. And I've been putting together some videos and examples with data from... FourSquare four from different providers. That it's really, really amazing. That now I have access to it. Like I grew up using FourSquare. Yep. Uh, <laughs> years ago.
0: Were you a and mayor of some
1: place? Uh, yeah, I got to be the mayor <laughs> of a couple uh <laughs> diving spots. But the thing is, I, I always uh, thought about what would I do if I had access to this data. And the thing is. Um, Foursquare as an app might not be so popular today as it was before, but as a company, they built a great repository of data. And they're capturing data not only from the app, but from different places. And now through Snowflake, I have access to that data in real time. When they update it, uh, I see a new data set. And that enables me to do analysis that, for me, are a lot of fun. But in the bigger picture, the question is, how can other companies use this data to drive their business and their business decisions? Um, So that's really exciting. So, yeah, I wanted to list the data marketplace that I find really exciting. Um, Now the ability to have external functions is really exciting, too. Um, How can I build systems outside Snowflake that I can incorporate into my... Uh, SQL experience. So I'm analyzing data and I'm able to call external functions. For example, uh, I'm just playing with Facebook Profit. That's a machine learning library to do forecasts. I have it in a Docker container. I made it, I have it running on Cloud Run from Google. And now I transformed that whole thing into one function inside SQL. And hopefully I will blog soon about it just to tell people. Back. How cool is to do this?
0: That sounds exciting because you're bridging, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the whole data part with the serverless compute
1: world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it becomes a really seamless experience uh, navigating about this serverless world. To oh, I'm doing that analysis, and I'm enabling all of these use cases for the data analyst in my company um, with a serverless solution. You mentioned, um, you mentioned Foursquare. So Foursquare, they probably have like uh-huh. a
0: huge data set and, you know, data warehouse, you talk about data cloud, other companies use data lake, mm-hmm. you know, those concepts, they all imply that, you know, you need huge amounts of data uh, to work with, you know, large enterprises, big companies, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, like, that's mm-hmm. like the standard. But what if you're like a startup and you're just starting out? Do you think that companies shouldn't make an early investment in data collection
1: for the organization? Yes and no. Depends on uh, what makes sense for your business. So instead of calling it data collect a data collection offer, uh, effort, I would like to call it like. I would like to find out what are we doing with data? How are we making it useful? So instead of just collecting, collecting, collecting for the sake of it, is start thinking what kind of decisions or products you want to drive with this data. So instrumenting is important, but then the most important part is figuring out how do you make this part of your business, what questions you want to answer.
0: So if you're like a small business and you started probably with like no code solution, you're doing everything, you know, with Google Sheets or Excel, you know, is that good enough to start with, you know, gathering all your data and then looking for ways to interpret it and
1: make data-driven decisions? Yeah, I love spreadsheets, but you do have to be careful with them. And it's not only a problem of uh, how much data a spreadsheet can fit, um, Let's say, for example, you have a mailing list for all of your customers. Where do you store that mailing list? A spreadsheet might work fine, but then what happens when you start making copies of that spreadsheet, when you need to work around privacy regulations, uh, email addresses, names, (laughs) uh, customers that ask, uh, there is a life cycle to this data. There are customers that might ask to be removed. And suddenly having the same spreadsheet with 100 copies and no master Mm -hmm. copy, uh, then you're in trouble. And now you're in legal trouble because uh, we have very basic regulations about how we handle that kind of data. So having it in one covered place that with one source of truth that everyone can use that's uh, a a great way to get started yes not don't think about big data but think about how we work with data so also
0: related um do you think that some there are some architecture patterns in software development that lend themselves better to you know to be part of data-driven organizations i'm thinking for example like event sourcing in which you, you model, you know, your systems around events, basically store every event in time. Uh, and that leads to a huge
1: amount of, of, of data collection that could be used later in analytics for free. So when you say event sourcing, the first thing that comes to mind is that famous LinkedIn blog post that ended up becoming Kafka, um, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And I like the, I, I like the idea of these architectures where that are append-only you are never modifying the past data, but just adding them. Now, it does become more complex to analyze it. Um, again, the question is, what problem you're solving for what industry? And uh, append-only data starts having problems when now you have to add questions to how, how do we delete data? And... If yeah. you're doing event sourcing and you have a request for deletion. Uh, yeah, G- GDPR. Exactly, that's the... you... <laughs> exactly. So, yes, uh, we, we need to be aware not only of what's the best architecture to solve our problem, but also what are the regulations and how that that is changing how we operate with things.
0: I see see that you mentioned a lot of things regarding, you know, governance and regulations and those sorts of things um, that usually when you're when you're trying to move fast and break things, you don't think about that much. But um, I I see that you guys at Snowflake are very, very well aware of of these sorts of things.
1: Of course. Yeah. And it's not only uh, the principles of the company, uh, how much we care, but it's also in the world we're living now. Uh, thinks the freedom that you had 10 years ago has been regulated, regulated all over the world in different ways for good, good reasons. and complying with all of those regulations, it hasn't been easy or cheap, but the question is how does snowflake health companies comply and be part of this huge ecosystem of data across countries?
0: Related, sort of, to that. So, what do you see happening with regards to all the concerns that are being raised around user data collection and privacy? Um, iOS just came out with this update in which you have the ability to turn off, uh, you know, data collection from apps like Facebook and Instagram. So, how are the how should data centric or ad driven businesses like uh, the Googles and the Facebooks have to adapt in a more privacy conscious environment?
1: I mean, yes, companies have to adapt. Things change. Uh, There's a lot of stories of why things, data should not be collected. At the same time, there are a lot of stories that we should pay attention to or to why data collection is good, how we are enabling more people to do more things thanks to us collecting data. Many times, my data... I don't know, my, my travel patterns act as voting for, decis- for cities to make better decisions on what kind of transport they build, for example. So it, There are these two angles. Now, on the Snowflake side, on the product side, the question is how do we make uh, things easier not only to analyze, but to comply with all of these principles. Uh, I recently released this two-minute video about Uh, dynamic data masking. That is a great feature that Snowflake has where you can have the same table, the same queries, but depending on what role is using these tables, they see different data. So some roles might, might not need to see the full customer name or might not need to see the full phone number, but you are allowed to have one copy of the data your your, your source of truth, but then thanks to features in Snowflake, you can share that table across the corporation while keeping customers' privacy and uh, being compliant. And, And that kind of feature is really, really cool to see of not only that the product can solve a problem, but that the product can make it very easy to comply and to understand this whole problem. And um, Yeah, I made this two-minute video, but even better is to see the uh, talk from, I forgot her name, but she works at JetBlue, an airline, and they are using Snowflake. And um, you having dynamic data masking, at that scale for an airline that knows so much about their customers, have simplified things a lot. Um, Talk was given at DBT, qual less. DBT is another great tool in this space. So data by itself, you know, mm-hmm.
0: just having just having a bunch of data is pretty, you know, meaningless. Unless you can gather insights from it, right? so which then you can use it to experiment validate hypotheses and you know in the end make data-driven decisions that's what businesses want right so how in snowflake how are snowflake and you know i guess other platforms if you know about the competition how are these tools helping you know data scientists and a business analyst better understand the data helping them to you know to pay attention to the right stuff
1: um i would say first uh Data scientists, data analysts, business people, they all want to know if they have access to the truth. Like, can I trust (laughs) the data that I'm looking at? Am I looking at the wrong copy? So having one source of truth, one place that allows you to store everything and allows you to have access only to the parts you should be seeing, that's a great feature to get started. Then people have different skills and different ways of analyzing data. Um, I love SQL, um, but other people might want to use Python, and Snowflake's job is to have good connectors to Python and different tools. Um, There's a a lot of data scientists that love using Scala, and we're building infrastructure so they don't need to switch from Scala to SQL, but Snowflake making... Snowflake able to run Scala code, Scala code. And then there's people that just don't know SQL or don't know programming languages. And I've done this great series of videos with my new teammate Eva Murray. She she doesn't know SQL, but she's a Tableau expert. And her first exactly, she really knows how to analyze data, but she uses Tableau, and that's how not only she analyzes it but how she is able to communicate her findings with the world and yeah her first challenge when she arrived to snowflake was in 30 days i want to create 30 different visualizations from 30 different data sets spaces and she did and she was just able to connect tableau to snowflake Used Tableau with Snowflake to find out how much data she had access to. Like, there are a lot of public data sets that you can find uh, for free in Snowflake. And she just created a great array of visualizations on different domain spaces without writing one line of SQL. And for me, that's the power that we, the kind of thing that we want to enable.
0: That that that's uh, um, a huge thing with regards to the experience. So I want to I want to ask you now, with regards to uh, you know developer or BA or data scientist experience, which are the things that are you know currently you know great, and which ones are the ones that can still be improved.
1: Because yeah, it's such an open question. So let me talk first as a developer doing Point. analysis and trying to work with Snowflake. Um, something that for me works great and love is Stack Overflow. Like having a community of people <laughs> helping each other and working around. Like I-, I love going there, answering questions and learning from what others are doing too and many times I learn new tricks from other people's answers how could things go better in that world um, Stack Overflow at the same time becomes data for me uh, I can see what questions are more fre- frequent, what problems keep happening, and I can bring that data back to the team to ask them, hey, how about we improve this, how about we have a better error message here And that's I love how we can not only help each other and be there for each other, but also use this data to improve the product.
0: You're using uh, Stack Overflow as your goldmine for different uh, uh, issues and uh, feature requests. <laughs> sort of, exactly. Sort of, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's where I see, for example, that people, more and more people are using. Python, and uh, Snowflake together. And I see like, oh, maybe there's friction on this connection. Uh, how do we make it easier? How do we? Uh, sometimes it's just about giving a better error message to solve that particular problem that keeps happening.
0: So you, you just mentioned that uh, you did a series of videos uh, with what was her name, uh, Eva Mur- Murray, right? Is that correct? Yes.
1: Yes, try yeah, my and, data uh, on Twitter.
0: Yeah, and, and, and she's. Tableau. She is. She. She doesn't come from uh, software development. You know. I see that you guys are bridging the gap that sometimes is found between mm-hmm. you know software engineers and business analysts, the BAs, who might not necessarily have a background in computer science or software development. So, are you guys trying to support more of these tools that are, I guess, closer to them, like Tableau or Power BI, or instead, or do you want to find like a middle ground in which they also? Attempt to code. Uh, what's the the, the where, where do you meet them halfway?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's important for us to meet people where they are. And uh, Eva loves Tableau, but we also have other great partners in this area. Um, I just ThoughtSpot is another great company which does visualizations and. At the end of the day, you want to enable more people to have access to data, to have access to the visualizations, and to share their insights, even if they don't write code. And sometimes, even if you write code, uh, you can become way more productive with one of these tools than just writing SQL queries. At the same time, for people that love SQL, uh, we are creating this great experience we call uh, the new web UI for Snowflake. We call it SnowSight. And it allows you to, as you are writing SQL queries, visualize the results, uh, look at any table that you got as a result, and see some statistics about that data. So so yeah, we are both working in both spaces. How do we enable people with zero SQL experience, or even with a lot of SQL experience that want to use uh, easy-to-use tools, and people that are writing SQL, how do we give them? How do we give them the best experience? And there's a whole other universe of people with Python that work with R that work with Scala. They are also really important for us.
0: Yeah, they're all invited to the party. Uh, well, I, th- I think that's great. You know? and it, it, it's part of what you mentioned uh, earlier regarding you know
1: these the data silos that we're not trying to bring them together, right? Exactly. How do you bring? everyone together instead of just having copies of data that escape uh, even even the data lifecycle requirements that now you should be having in your company but instead let's make it easy for everyone to have one place one source of truth uh one place where we can all collaborate regardless of our favorite tools so snowflake has
0: um as parts of this platform that are oriented toward the whole the whole machine learning and AI space right mm-hmm.
1: yes i mean uh one of the basic elements you need for machine learning is data that's where things start yeah
0: there's like a lot of stuff regarding you know algorithms so i wanted to ask you for example that you know there's been controversy um i've seen in you know in the machine learning space regards to you know biases that have that have seeped into the algorithms and in the data, regarding to like race and gender, those sorts of things, which uh, those are pretty sensitive issues. So what can you know, data scientists and platforms like Snowflake, uh, are they addressing these sorts of
1: biases uh, that sure. could sometimes be found? I would say that, I mean, these problems are huge. They are in our society. We need to be aware of them, but I would first call them way bigger than machine learning or AI or database. Um, If anything, sometimes with data we can help make them more transparent. But your your team, your organization, your company, your country, uh, the regulations need to be aware that in the world there is unfairness and that it should be rooted out. So instead of starting how does this algorithm prevent uh, discrimination uh, the bigger question is how is your company principles and culture organized about around that even the law uh, I, I don't know it's it w- there are many examples where this machine learning algorithm might reject uh, loans to uh, and discriminate certain people, but you also have that problem in person. Uh, yeah. Take away all of the algorithms and data, and just put a person there to make a decision that might have the same biases. Um, so the first question is, how do you make, how do you bring awareness, and what are the principles guiding your company to avoid discrimination? And then you so, bring so those I, principles into your data science room, but it starts with uh, uh, the bigger problem of society and how are we treating unfairness.
0: So I guess like the, the, the question is, um, is, is the data a reflection
1: of what and who we are as a society? Yeah, I mean, we need to be careful with data and we need to be aware of undesirable outcomes. That awareness right. is really important. But it's not only my awareness as a data engineer, it's how my company treats this. What are the principles? What are the workflows? What are the legal reviews? Uh, Who needs to approve an algorithm before putting it in in practice? And how we are monitoring the results.
0: So uh, the the question, my related question to, to this whole topic and regarding also to privacy and stuff. So when should... Organizations draw the line between you know following data-driven decisions blindly. Okay, so the data says this, we do this, mm-hmm. and then we need to think twice before uh, proceeding uh, with uh, with those decisions.
1: Yeah. So hopefully, no one is just doing it blind, jumping blindly from uh, bridges because the data said so. Um, and you need to bring the. Uh, the whole company to it. Uh, The many problems that we might call machine learning problems are bigger than that. And we need to be aware of what principles we are using to build, what principles we are using to approve, and what principles we are using to monitor once we have uh, once we put uh, new systems into production or when we are testing them. But yeah, there needs to be a, uh, a review of these processes. And it's also very important, like we should always say, uh, having diversity in your team, having a diverse team brings also awareness to so many problems that maybe one group of people will not see. And, and I've seen that, like when I sometimes I try to develop a talk. Uh, some friends just tell me, oh, yeah, it's okay, I love it. But then I go to a different group, for a, uh, and they, they raise alarms that no one else had seen. Uh, and it's good to have that, <laughs> to go beyond your close group to how do we, again, create a diverse team that can t- t- take these challenges.
0: I want to ask you so you mentioned at the beginning regarding. Um you know, multi-cloud, that being effectively multi-cloud is mm-hmm. something that it, it's one of the big pluses um, by Snowflake. I want to ask what are your thoughts on, you know, the pricing models that are implemented by, you know, the AWS, Azure, Google, mm-hmm. Alibaba, whatever? And, um, and also, don't you feel that it's also very hard, you know, to do like a deep dive and understand how they're charging you for using uh, not just data but from everything from computer networking and all that kind of stuff. And how does Snowflake, uh, if I guess we talked about developer experience, uh, the BA experience, uh, the, the compliance experience, now the accounting experience. If Snowflake has that in mind,
1: I mean, pricing is hard, uh, in, in <laughs> general, it's an art, um. If you look at my previous job, I was dealing like with three different pricing models for the same tool. Uh, but something that I love about Snowflake is that its pricing model is pretty simple. It has one pricing model and it's consumption-based, not user-based. So you can have as many users as you would like and you're just paying for consumption. And even if it's consumption-based, which is an advantage from the cloud, sometimes it's also seen as risky because people want predictable costs. But the Snowflake pricing model adapts well to that requirement too. And again, it has a lot to do with the history of Snowflake that was developed from zero with customers and asking uh, like complying to what they need. And with the snowflake, the, the basic element of compute you're paying for is the warehouse. And you get to size okay. it uh, a small one, a large one, an extra large one. And then when people are using it, you are paying for that. Uh, the moment your users are not using it, it auto turns off. So you have a, um, a constraint of how much you could be, end up paying for it because that's how much infrastructure you decided to have. But at the same time, if no one is using it, it, no one is using it. And the consumption model starts works in a way where, yeah, you pay more if you use it more or if you want to bring even more people and workloads and use cases, or if it's the end of the month, you can also opt for to, just yes, uh, elastically have a larger infrastructure. Okay, so my final
0: question now, um, before we end this interview, so I want to ask you, which direction would you like to see all the data related platforms, not just Snowflake, but I guess you know, the entire ecosystem. Where do you, uh, would you like to see, or see them go to?
1: Yeah. Oh, one last thing I would like to say about pricing is that trying Snowflake yeah. is free. All you need is um, email account. You can get started with the Snowflake. You get free credits and you can start experimenting with it. Well, we have uh, great resources, guides.snowflake.com. Uh, As a developer, you can just go through any of these guides, following examples and getting to know the platform. So the first problem with pricing is you want to know this platform? It's free. Play with it. <laughs> uh, have fun. Um directions where things are going, um, as we started this conversation with, is uh, data sharing, enabling more access to more people, to more data in a secure and, and private way, respecting customers' privacy. That's a great universe to explore. There's so much more that we can share while staying compliant. And... Uh, there are some cool things that's going to happen on the Snowflake space, and features that I would love to talk about <laughs> in a couple of quarters. But one that we, ha- are, we have hinted that we are working with is real-time data. And we have real-time, a great wow. blog post about it. It's how do we enable real-time data processing in Snowflake. A new paradigm of real-time yeah. Working with real-time data, and the blog post was not much about uh, about how we're solving it, but that we are hiring people to do so because we have a great leader there, Tyler Akidao. I love how he's worked, all, all his previous work in real-time data, but now he's at Snowflake, Snowflake building the, the next generation, and wow. we're hiring for it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay.
0: Felipe, I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, be a guest on our show. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've certainly learned a lot you know, about Snowflake and data and all this related um, issues, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And looking forward to,
1: to w- what the future brings us in the data space. Thank you, Mario. Thank you for inviting me. I've had so much fun, not only during this episode, but watching your previous episodes. You had great oh, guests. Oh, thank you. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really glad that you, you are setting up this space to share more and that you invited me. That's wonderful. If anyone wants to find oh. me, they can find me on Twitter on LinkedIn and around the world. Awesome. Okay. Thank you, Felipe. Bye-bye. Gracias, Mario. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for watching this episode of Rocket to the Cloud. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to click the like button and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast version, don't forget to subscribe as well. This show was brought to you by Booster, an open source initiative by the Agile Monkeys. Visit the links found in the description. See you all in the next episode.